I am who you say I am. That is wonderful. That is exactly what we've been seeing in our book of 1 Peter. If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to continue, we're going to continue this morning our study of the Apostle Peter's first letter, and we're going to begin really the main body of his letter proper this morning. The last time we were here in this book, we took two weeks to look at just the first two introductory verses. Not because I get a kick out of going slow through passages, but because the first two verses really do introduce us to every major theme and aspect of this letter. For example, we learned at the beginning of chapter 1 about the author, that this letter was written by the Apostle Peter, that tempestuous apostle that understood more than most the importance of God's grace and purpose behind every trial and temptation we go through. We also learn from the end of verse 1 into verse 2 about the audience that Peter was writing to. They were fresh believers in Jesus Christ just 30 years into the start of the church, young believers who were struggling to make sense of their rejection and hardship that they were facing. And so Peter reminds them of who they are. He reminds them that they are elect, right? That they are chosen by God for salvation. And it is because God has chosen them out of this world that therefore they're experiencing what they are in this world. And that's the setting for this letter. Those believers that Peter was writing to were not only elect, but they were also exiles. They were also exiles. These believers that, Paul, or that Peter was writing to were not only elect, they were also exiles. Exiles scattered by persecution throughout the regions of modern-day Turkey. And in the process, they were suffering the loss of their homes, their families, their jobs, their health, their relationships, and soon, many of them, their very own lives for following Jesus. Those who have been chosen by God will be rejected by the world. They will become objects of scorn, ridicule, hostility, and attack. Therefore, in order to lift the spirits of those elect exiles... We'll see, beginning this morning, that Peter begins his letter proper in verses 3 through 5 with a doxology. That is a hymn of praise and an invitation to worship. Peter knew that if these believers would would, would but lift their eyes up into heaven from whence comes their help, they would recall that there is a reason for worship and that there is an unshakable joy no matter what may be going on around them. And the reason is this, they were born again. And that's what these three verses are. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 is a hymn of praise intended to remind us as elect exiles in our day of the immense blessing that it is to be able to say this morning that I am born again. And the immense bliss that comes through remembering that blessing. And so that's what we're going to do today and next week as a faith family. We're going to rejoice over the blessing that it is to be born again. We're going to consider first the response to being born again there at the beginning of verse 3. In other words, what should those who have been born again do? Then we're going to recall the reasons for being born again. 
there in the middle of verse 3. In other words, how is it that you and I find ourselves this morning to be in this state of being born again? And then finally, next week, we're going to examine the results of being born again from the end of verse 3 into verse 5. So the response to, the reasons for, and the results of being born again. I just want to tell you to hold on to your pews because this is awesome. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words to us today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the word of God who redeems us from man's oppression that we may keep his precepts. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. We thank you that it reveals to us things that we would not understand. Things beyond our grasp. Marvelous truths that we could never comprehend. But that It speaks the truth and your spirit opens our minds and hearts to understand these things that have been freely given to us by you in Christ Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would open our eyes today to remember and to perhaps for someone here today to learn for the very first time the wonder that it is to be born again from above. Father, I know that there's someone here that's been playing a game that does not have the life of Christ. Breathe upon them this morning. Give them spiritual life. And I pray for the rest of us who have been born again. Quicken our hearts by your spirit to rejoice in this most wondrous gift. Remind us of how it is that we have come to be elect exiles. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Now, even though I'll expand on this a little bit more when we come to the conclusion of this message, for the sake of introducing the topic for you all this morning, I should probably explain briefly what Scripture means when it says born again. When it says born again, because there have been a lot of confusion about that term over the last 50 years of American church history. When God says, both in John 3 and in 1 Peter chapter 1, that Christians are those who have been born again, God does not mean something as simple as just turning over a new leaf and being given a second chance on life. That is how the world waters this concept down. They'll say things like, a baseball player's career has suddenly turned around and he's born again in the sport. According to Scripture, being born again is something that only happens to those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean that they've been given a new lease on life. What it means is that they've been given a brand new life completely. That is what being born again means. So just think about it this morning in terms of our physical birth. The morning, and I'm sure you remember it well, just kidding. At the moment that we were physically born into this world, it it was a moment that we entered into life in a sense. At the moment of our birth, we left the darkness of our mother's womb and we entered into the experiences of this physical life. We entered into and became participants in this physical world. That is exactly what God means when he says that believers in Jesus Christ are born again. He means that we've entered into, we've been birthed into a new sphere of existence. Not of physical life like we were at first, but spiritual life this time. See, God tells us that though we're born physically alive, we are also born spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. Completely unresponsive to God. And we need to be made alive. We need to be birthed into spiritual life. And so God comes, and he makes us alive through faith in Christ Jesus. He regenerates us. To use the birthing imagery, he pushes us into and makes us participants of his own eternal spiritual life. We're born again. By the Spirit of God, we are pushed into a brand new spiritual experience where we are now responsive to God. We are now understanding of his word. We're now obedient to his will. We're desirous of his glory, and we are affectionately in love with his person. We are a new creation, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. So through the womb, we were made physically alive. We were born. Through faith in Christ Jesus, we were made spiritually alive. We were born again. So what does it mean to be born again? It means you've been pushed by God into spiritual life. Well, that's a wonderful reality that has changed our life. Peter wants to remind his audience that it should continue to change your life as well. So Peter reminds his audience and us of how we ought to respond to this wonderful truth of being brought from death into life by the grace of God, by being regenerated, by being born again. So first... The response to being born again is there at the very beginning of verse 3, and that is simply to worship. Look at how Peter begins verse 3. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that for a moment. This is how Peter starts his letter, and I think it's fascinating. Peter has a lot to tell these suffering believers. 
But the very first thing he tells these believers who are in the midst of suffering is to bless God. Right? Blessed be God. That is the sole imperative, the singular command in all of these verses. Bless God. And Peter here is really echoing the sentiments of David the psalmist who wrote in Psalms 34 verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. What a reminder for us this morning that God is worthy of blessing and honor. He is worthy of worship and praise, not only on our good days, but also on our bad days. Even in the midst of our suffering and sorrows, God is forever worthy. And so Peter tells his audience, give him the high praise that he's due. You say, well, why? I mean, in the midst of pain and suffering, in the midst of persecution and sorrow, why should I bless and worship God at all times? And the answer Peter is going to give us in the rest of these verses is because of the great things that God has done for you. Which again echoes the psalmist in Psalms 130 verses 1 through 2, which we read this morning, in which the psalmist wrote, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his name, his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Listen to this. And forget not all his benefits. See, there are benefits. There are blessings God has given you that can never be taken away as someone who is in Christ Jesus. Blessings that should be an everlasting fountain from which worship can and daily spring. And the blessing that Peter is going to remind those suffering believers of soon is the blessing of being born again. As he says in the very next phrase, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Therefore, Peter is basically saying, bless the Lord and don't you forget his many benefits. See, so often, as I was thinking about it, we as adult believers behave a lot like spoiled children, don't we? You know the ones. Maybe you have some. But these are the ones where the parents shower them with a ridiculous amount of presents. But the next day when they're told no about a sucker, what do they do? You've probably seen them in the department stores, right? They throw a fit. Hmm, that's not fear. You don't love me. Nobody cares. You don't get me anything, right? I think we were all children like that at some point in time. And you just want to say, do you not remember any of the gifts that you were given just yesterday? Right? Of all the ways that your parents showed you that they loved you? This is, this is what we see all around us. So forgetful. In the same way, We have been brought from death into life, from darkness into light. We have been redeemed, forgiven of all of our sins, made new and born again to a living, undying hope by the death of God's own Son on our behalf. This is abundant grace and amazing love that we will celebrate for all of eternity. And yet, the moment a struggle or difficulty comes into our lives, what are we tempted to think in that moment? We are tempted to think just like a spoiled children. Hmm, that's not fair. You don't love me, God. You don't care. You never do anything for me. And so Peter is reminding his audience, those suffering believers, bless God. Because he's caused you to be born again. Remember God's blessing and bless the Lord. 
You're going through a hard day. Join the rest of humanity. But you get to be born again in that hardship. That changes everything. That changes everything. Bless God because he has caused you to be born again. Remember God's blessing and bless the Lord. That's why he says, blessed be God. And what what God should we bless in the midst of our difficulties? We could just breeze over this really quick, but I don't want us to. The God that we should bless in the midst of our difficulties is the only God who is over our difficulties. The only God there is. And that is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is really important because, especially considering where we live in our culture, there's a lot of people in America today who give pleasant platitudes towards God. You know, I'm a religious person, sure. You know, I believe in God. These are your neighbors, your co-workers, your classmates, your family members. And they need to be asked this question. What God are you talking about? See, the issue at stake in terms of salvation is not do you believe in God. The issue is do you believe in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Because if you don't believe in that God, then you don't believe in God at all. And that's what Jesus taught. Listen to what Jesus said in John 5, 37 through 43. Jesus said, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. In other words, the one true God has testified that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, throughout the pages of Scripture. And based on that understanding, Jesus looks at all those people that were around him in John 5 who, never, who, who professed to believe in God, and he tells them this. His voice, God the Father's voice, you've never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe in the one whom he has sent. I know you do not have the love of God within you, for I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you really believe the one true God who's revealed himself to man through the pages of Scripture, then you would believe in me, because the Father has testified of me. But now I know that you don't believe in God, because if you did, you would believe in the one whom God has testified of, the one whom he has sent. His name is Jesus Christ. This is so critical to remember. In a culture that still, to some degree, prides itself in being religious. It doesn't matter whether you're a Muslim, Jew, Mormon, or just generally a religious American. It doesn't matter whether you say you believe in God. The issue is, do you believe in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is revealed by the Father himself to be both Lord and Christ and both God and man? This is the God that we must worship. And by the way, this is the God that we must turn to and trust in, especially during valleys of difficulty. Because just consider... If there is anyone who has ever demonstrated that he can work all things together for good, if there is anyone who has ever shown that he is in absolute control and has a good and a perfect redemptive plan behind every rejection, every injustice, and every suffering known to man, it is the God who has revealed himself to be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who, according to his own purpose and plan, took the most wicked act ever accomplished on planet Earth, by man and transformed it to become the most blessed act ever accomplished on heaven and on earth by God. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is a God who knows how to turn trials into triumphs. And Peter wants to remind his audience of that. Peter, our author, would have known this full well because Peter himself knew trials and hardships. As Jesus showed him in Luke 22, verse 32, Jesus said, I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. 
And when you have turned again, and if you know the story of Peter, once you've turned again from your denial, turned from your betrayal, turned from your sin, when you've turned again, what does Jesus say? Strengthen your brothers. That's the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is him that we worship, and it's him that we bless as God over all, God over our good days, God over our bad, who can turn our trials into triumphs. Peter reminded his audience of that. So the response to being born again is very simple. We should worship and bless the Lord at all times. Now, why should our response of worship and blessing for our new birth be directed towards God? Why isn't it directed towards us? Well, the answer Peter is going to give next is because God is the one that did it all. God is the one that did it all. Let's see that next in the reasons for being born again. The end of verse 3. The end of verse 3. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Here it is. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Here in this one statement, Peter lays out two humbling but also thrilling reasons for why we have been born again, pushed into everlasting life. And both of those reasons are found in the person of God himself. We owe our new birth, our regeneration, our eternal life to two things, God's great mercy and God's sovereign will. We are born again from above because of God's great mercy and of God's sovereign will. So the first reason for being born again that Peter mentions here is God's great mercy. He says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Our wondrous salvation that you and I celebrated today and continue to celebrate traces itself straight back to the heart of God. The one true God is a God of great mercy. Therefore, he causes sinners to be born again. This truth is praised throughout the pages of Scripture. For example, in Titus 3, 5, We read, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we have ever done, but according to his own mercy, he saved us. And he goes on and says, he regenerated us, he renewed us. Or in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Right? In accordance to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. We were talking about this this morning in our prayer time before the service, taking Jesus' words from John chapter 3. Why did the Holy Spirit decide to blow on me and cause me to be born again? There's no other answers than these two given here. First, he is a God of great mercy. Great mercy. Now, mercy is a word that describes the pity and compassion that arises in response to someone else's worthiness. Nope. Mercy is a word that describes the pity and compassion that arises in response to someone else's wretchedness. It is, it's like when I was thinking about a dorky illustration, it's like when we take our family photos consistently all the time as a family. We are not a photogenic family. Lane Yoder, she's here, can attest to this. And every time we get our picture taken for our church photo wall, the ladies in the church office know this well, 
I keep on thinking, this will be the year when the camera finally does our family justice. Well, the last, after the last two years, Lane is probably thinking, Pastor, your family doesn't require justice. What you require is mercy. <laughs> right? Pity and compassion that arises to someone else's wretchedness. And that's exactly the way it is spiritually for us, right? We don't need justice. We need mercy. We need pity and compassion that arises in response to another person's wretchedness. And that's exactly the type of spiritual condition that we are in if we are outside of Christ. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, Scripture teaches us. We are cursed by God. We are fallen. We are alienated from the life of God. We are spiritually bankrupt. We are rebels in league with Satan. We are under God's wrath. We are beneath a just sentence of condemnation. There is nothing desirable about us in and of itself. And so what we need from God as a people is not justice. What we need God is mercy. And praise the Lord, that is the very thing that God has in eternal abundance. He is, as 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 says, puts it, the Father of mercies. It comes out of Him. He's a God of mercy. In other words, the very virtue you and I as desperate sinners most desperately need, God possesses in infinite abundance. As Peter says here, it is according to His great mercy. His great mercy that He caused us to be born again. The very virtue that God revealed to Moses as he passed by on the mountain was his mercy, saying, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. The very first object that God commanded Moses to put in the tabernacle was a mercy seat. Our God is a God of great mercy. As Lamentations 3.22 states, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and his mercies never come to an end. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, Psalms 103.10 declares, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. To the the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, as Daniel 9.9 says. In fact, I have a favorite song that goes along with this. You perhaps have heard it. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. So we're born again this morning. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you find yourself this morning born again. You find yourself redeemed. We are elect. We are chosen. We are headed to heaven, not according to anything that we have ever done or ever will do. We are born again, Scripture says, according to God's great mercy. According to His great mercy, He caused us to be born again. So the first reason why we're born again is God's great mercy. Second reason why we are born again is because of God's sovereign will. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because according to His great mercy, He caused us to be born again. Here we are reminded once again that the ultimate first cause for our salvation is God Himself. He has caused us to be born again. Beloved, one of the truths that you will come to realize as you study Scripture more and more and more and more is that we didn't cause ourselves to be born again any more than we caused ourselves to be born the first time around. Having witnessed this firsthand as a father four times already, 
I can say this with absolute certainty. We as infants contributed nothing to our physical birth. We just scream. And we as believers contribute nothing to our spiritual rebirth either. Just as the mother is the one who did all the work in the birthing process, if you contend with that fact, you are going to not survive getting out of church this morning. So God is the one who did all the work in the saving process also of rebirth. As James 1.18 says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So then, Paul says in Romans 9.16, salvation depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. As John 1 teaches us, we are born again, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. Believer, you who have entrusted your life and eternity in submission to Christ's saving sovereignty, why are you born again? You are born again to a living hope because of God's great mercy and because of God's sovereign will. That is what 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 teaches. According to his great mercy... He has caused you to be born again. Therefore, back to our first point of application. How should we respond to these truths? The only way that you can respond to the truth that you have been born again according to God's great mercy and according to God's sovereign will is this. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is what leads you to worship, to recognize that God is the one that did it for you. Just as the Spirit blows from here to there and we have no control over it, the the wind blows wherever it wills, so the Spirit blows wherever it wills. We are born again because God desired you to be born again. And therefore, we ought to simply say, bless God. Worship and adore him. That's why we came today, right? I hope you didn't come today to hear about how you're an awesome person. I hope you didn't come today to learn about how much you have contributed to you being a righteous and a moral person. I hope you didn't come today to hear about how wonderful you are. Because according to my Bible, you are a person that deserves deserves justice, but praise God can receive mercy from a God who is great in mercy. That's why we've come today, to bless God, because he is the one who has caused us to be born again. And that is an everlasting reason to worship God. And adore him. As Psalms 150 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud sounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is why God's people are a people. People of worship. Because we are a people who have received great and sovereign mercy. 
Blessed be our God in our sunshine and in our shadows. Blessed be our God forever and ever. Bless the Lord at all times, believer. Do not forget His many benefits. Let His praise be continually in your mouth, for according to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again. And that is reason enough to worship. And that's a good enough application for me. This week, I don't know what the week has in store but I'd better give God the praise and honor and glory that he deserves because I'll enter every single circumstance this week as someone who has been born again from above. We haven't even come to the results of being born again yet. That'll have to wait till next week. But until then, believer, do you see from these verses, until then, through the shadows and the sunshine, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. This is the word of God from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience unto the worship of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ until he returns. To that end, As the men come forward for communion today, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth. And Father, I thank you for how the truth causes us to reorient our minds and our thoughts and our priorities. So often, Father, we look at our lives through the eyes of this world. And we see our circumstances. We see our trials. We see our hardships. And they are real. And they are painful. And they do hurt. And there is pain. And there is sorrow. And there is heartache. But I praise you, O God, as those of us who are in Christ, we get to go through all those pains, all those sorrows, all those heartaches, and know that we are carried by you. That we are born again. And that though we go through trials in this life, Because we are born again, our life is not just this physical life. But there is, there is an in, there is a living hope, an inheritance, an eternity set before us. And that should change how we look at every circumstance. So Father, as you have reminded us of who we are, elect exiles. Remind us once again today of who you are, God of great mercy and of sovereign purpose who has caused us to be born again. Father, I just pray that we would let that truth invigorate us to live a life of worship this week in every circumstance at home, at work, at play. Help us to do it all for your honor and for your glory, for what wondrous works and you have done for us.
Help us not forget your benefits. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.